Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, a podcast where we explore the origins and the development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. The comic we're talking about today was published on the 21st of November 1967 and it's issue two of The Spectre. The first returning DC Golden Age Justice Society member character to get his own ongoing book and it's a big one here. We've had a few issues of The Spectre already, um, obviously appearing in Showcase and the first issue of his own book and obviously turning up in Brave and Bold. But things go to a new level in this issue Mm -hmm. because it's the arrival of Neil Adams and things will never be the same again. Yeah, Neil Adams is probably my favourite comic artist of all time. With absolutely no disrespect to anyone else who draws comics or anyone else who's done the stories before him, there's a level of dynamism and I can't really say realism because it's not really the case. But mm-hmm. you know, there's a slightly heightened realistic sense to his drawing, sure. and this this issue looks absolutely spectacular. It's very very exciting to do it. It's a Neil Adams cover, the third one we've had so far, keeping that running tally. And PC's going to tell us about the cover now. The background is a striking red. We have a man in a almost like a Dracula outfit sitting on a throne with two serpents carved either side of him. And in the background, against the red, we have horrible, horrible demonic faces. They are genuinely hideous and disturbing. Mm. And in front of this man, cowering, crawling in absolute pain and agony, we have the form of the spectre. We do indeed. And there's a caption at the bottom that says, Die, spectre, again and again and again. Yeah. There's an inverted comms around there, which maybe makes me think the guy in the chair is maybe saying it. Mm-hmm. And they've done that rather than have a speech bubble, which would no doubt have diluted the drama. Yes. Three Neil Adams covers. It's an interesting thing. This issue actually is a text page where the Spectre and Neil Adams have a chat. We're not going to do it all. We'll probably post it on the socials so you yes, can have a look at other listeners. It's quite interesting. It has a little bit of background about what Neil Adams was doing. He was only 26 at this point, Gosh. I believe. Gosh. He's still going now, obviously. I often watch his, his Instagram live videos. They talk a little bit about how he'd worked on the, the comic strip and the Batmaster TV series and some of this, the advertising stuff that he'd done and the three and a half years he spent on the, the syndicated comic strip for Ben Casey. Mm-hmm. That's all quite interesting, but as I say, I'll put the page up on Instagram and Facebook and probably on Twitter as well, actually, so that everyone can have a look. Very interesting. So without further more ado, we'll get straight into the story. So we have an opening splash panel. It kind of echoes the front cover in a way, and at the background there's a close-up of a laughing face surrounded by ha-ha-ha and foreground. We see the spectre sort of engaged in a bit of a fisticuff looking fight with what looks like the guy that was on the cover. As Pete said, there's a touch of the Draculas, a touch of the Mandrake the Magicians to mm-hmm. him. Sort of evening dress, a long cape, and a splash panel. He's wearing a top hat. And we have the spectre logo. And to the left of the page, we have a little caption box that says Stage magician Dirk Raleigh had a good thing going for him. While performing before an audience, they supplied him with a perfect alibi for the robberies simultaneously being committed offstage by his other self. And while Detective Jim Corrigan ran up against a stone wall trying to solve the impossible crimes, his own spectral self ran headlong into the thief, only to fall victim to his eerie powers. And then in shocking giant text along the bottom is the story title, which says... Die, Spectre, again! 
and the little cartoon that tells us the stories by Gardner Fox and the art by Neil Adams. The perfect fusion it could well be, so into the story properly. Top of page two. The caption for the first panel says, Footfalls are a lonely sound on a deserted street in Gateway City when the otherwise silent night is shattered by... Get a nice moody street scene. See, look at the crack in the pavement there. Fantastic. Gentleman walking along in a suit. There's a new stand in the pavement behind him. What looks like a full moon <laughs> in the sky. Couldn't be a spectral story without a full moon. And the man is walking along the street. He's being, well, he's being interrupted and assailed by a chap wearing a hat. Anyway, the guy in the hat says to the lonely late-night pedestrian, This is a stick-up. Hand over your valuables or I shoot. And the gentleman replies, Shoot with what? You don't have a gun. Panel two, we get a closer shot. If you pardon the pun of the gentleman with the hat, he's casting a long shadow of his face. We can't really see his features too clearly. He's gesturing, but we get a nice close-up shot of his right hand, which reaffirms that he doesn't have a gun. And he says to the pedestrian, You want a gun? And then panel three, with a zip, Sound effect, a gun has appeared in his hand, and he says, Presto, you have a gun. Caption name for the next panel. Swift, as is the action of the powerful holdout spring that shoots the gun into the hand of the holdup man, even swifter is the hand of his victim, as... Yeah, with a chunk. The pedestrian gentleman is punching out the bad guy in the hat, saying, If you make like a magician, so can I. See, my hand is quicker than your gun. Fantastic dynamic panel. Then the caption for the next panel says, And steps through the air at the flying gun, and to complete the turnabout, it is the would-be robber who is now menaced. Yeah, it looks so the pedestrian has caught the gun. Now in the next panel, he's pointing at the man in the hat. The man in the hat's cowering on the ground, his gloved hand up at his face, and he says, You, you gonna shoot me? Caption for the final panel, page two. Suddenly, there is a burst of brilliance, followed by a gloved fist striking from behind. Yeah, I very see what you see, to be honest. There's a little burst of light surrounding the pedestrian, who will get a name eventually. And with a whop sound effect, he's been struck from behind by a similar purple-suited gloved hand to the guy that he's fighting. With an oh! Pedestrian exclaims, the, get a better shot of the, the guy on the ground wearing the hat. He kind of looks like an old lady. The way the light is sort of <laughs> lighting up his face is quite amusing. At the top of page three, in the first panel, we can see that there's now essentially two versions of the man in the purple suit wearing the hat who's attacked this hatless pedestrian. There's the one who's carrying the ground, now getting to his feet, and the one who's appeared behind the pedestrian, knocking to the ground, a burst of red and orange and yellow energy behind him, dressed identically, but he's lacking any features. And indeed, as the would-be assailant gets to his feet, he observes, That man, dressed exactly as I am, except... He has no face! You can see the pedestrian who was having a go and sticking up for himself. He's down on the ground. The faceless one who's just arrived standing behind him says, Look upon me closely, Dirk Raleigh. And Dirk Raleigh, for it is he who is our assailant, says, Who? What are you? And then the caption for panel two on page three says, As the dazed Dirk Raleigh stares in stark amazement, he sees a slow change come upon the featureless flatness of his rescuer's face. Yes, it's a great panel. The flat, featureless face starts to define, and yep, it's taking on the features of Dirk Raleigh himself. And Dirk Raleigh looks aghast as the formerly featureless face now says, Gaze upon my blank face. Give me an identity and you'll see who I am. Dirk is appalled, indeed, and he says in the next panel, you're, you're me, but how? And then this new figure that's arrived in the scene, taking on his form, says, I am your etheric self, Dirk Raleigh. 
Your emotional state, brought about by the intense fear of being killed, has at long last released the etheric body which has always been a part of you. Final panel of page three. It's absolute Neil Adams classic. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Very, very is. moody. We get a close-up of the newly arrived version of Dick Wally, the etheric self. He's taken off his hat. He's being lit almost by this, this full moon in the background. If there was never enough two-podcast drinking game, it would involve taking a drink every time we point out a full moon. Pretty much. It almost looks as if this newly arrived etheric self is ranting. The original Dirt Wally stands in the background, still looking appalled, watching this rant, as the newly arrived figure declares, I breathe! I live! Farewell for now, Dirk Rawley. I go to the ancient demon-haunted town of Arkham to bathe in the evil emanations which form a vicious vortex there and gather strength, but we shall meet again. Wow. Arkham, that's very interesting. Is there enough to Arkham Asylum, PC? When did Arkham Asylum first turn up? You're the Batman expert. In the 70s. Right. I can't remember the issue offhand, but yeah. Interesting. Must have been in the 70s. Mm. So yeah, I don't believe there is an Earth 2 Arkham. Not that I've seen. That's interesting. Anyway, just a little thing to note. So, over the page now, top of page four, the caption of the first panel says, Some nights later, the great vault of a gateway city bank is looted, followed by the theft of the fabulous Soames gem collection from a sealed chest without breaking the seals. Yeah, in this first panel on page four, it's the view through an open bank vault door. and see inside. There's a voice coming from off panel, which we assume is the manager from the context of the next panel as well. And this voice is saying, There is no way for the vault to have been opened before the time mechanism released the bolts. The theft couldn't have taken place, but it did. The chest was sealed with wax, and though the wax was unbroken, the jewels were somehow taken out of it. Caption for panel two. Assigned to cover these impossible crimes, Detective Captain Jim Corrigan is stymied at every turn. Yep, we see Jim arriving now in the story, hands on his hips, looking fantastically rendered by Mr. Adams. Conversation with the manager, who looks a little bit like another guy that Neil Adams drew in the cover of one of the issues of Green Lantern. He looks like the Neil Adams version of that guy who looked a bit like Richard Nixon. Do you remember? Oh, yes. On that GLJ mm-hmm. cover. There's a, a girl sat at a desk, presumably she's another bank employee. The bank manager is a kind of poor-looking fellow, wearing a tie, has a, a slight moustache. And he's saying to Jim Corrigan, The gems have been stolen, which means there had to be a thief. It's up to the police to find him. And Jim thinks, Not a clue. Absolutely nothing to go on. Caption then for panel three. To Captain Corrigan's regular police duties have been added the assignment of chairman of the annual policeman's ball. Yes, we see Jim looking very dapper, looking at his watch, and he's thinking in his panel. It'll be a relief to take a break from that case, an evening with Mona, and I'll get a fresh star in the morning. Caption name for panel four. Out of the night swoops the spirit sleuth, that ghostly guardian of goodness, he who fights evil and injustice across a world, the spectre. Yes, so Jim's standing quite near the venue for the policeman's ball, because we can see some big iconic columns behind him, some trees around there's a full moon, take a drink, and a spectre's floating down towards him. There's definitely a touch of the Gil Keynes to the perspectives. Mm-hmm. He's another very dynamic artist that really doesn't get the credit he deserves. Great work from Mr. Adams in this panel. So we look up Jim's nose, and behind him as the spectre arrives, and Jim says, Well, welcome home. I thought you were off in a case of your own, with the Justice Society. The spectre replies, I was, Jim, but the case was an exhausting one. I need a rest in your... Our body. And in the next panel, we have a sort of silhouette of the spectre with a nice little burst of text. 
spread it over his cape, and that says... The Spectre, given life by the mystic powers of a voice which explained that his work was not yet done. The ghost of dead Jim Corrigan, slain by gangster Gat Benson, became a spirit being dedicated to the prevention of crime and the apprehension of wrongdoers. When Detective Corrigan was also raised from the dead to live again as his former self, there began a strange twin existence of man and spirit. United, yet disunited. Both dedicated to stamping out evil. Well, that's fascinating. It's a really interesting little summation of the spectral sort of status quo and everything at the moment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We might put that panel on the, the socials, Peter. What do you think? You want to put all these panels on the socials? <laughs> do you know what? I'm going to risk us getting shut down because I'll post the entire comic. <laughs> <laughs> so the final panel of page four shows the spectre merging into Jim's body. And it says, this takes place. Jim is saying, Wait, I'm going on a date with Mona Marcy. Couldn't you arrange to let us have some privacy? The ghostly guardian replies, Giving me the brush off, Jim? Okay, I'll leave you on your own. Soon as I restore my psychic energies within you. And the tiny caption says, Continued on third page following. Pass an advert for a toy machine gun. (laughs) Mattel's new M16 Marauder. Yes. If um, you think this gun looks great, wait till you hear it. (laughs) Make war no more. Mm. <laughs> we pass the letters page for the issue and then we arrive at the top of page 5 and the caption of the first panel which shows a delighted happy smiling faced Jim with Mona who we met in a previous issue of the Showcase Spectre Stories and the caption says The door opens and wealthy society woman Mona Marcy beams on the man who first entered her life while investigating the death of Ace Chance Yes, yes, of course Ace Chance, remember that one well Jim looks delighted. Mona has a little tiara on. She's wearing a yellow dress, which has a sort of cape effect, which is very charming. Jim looks, oh God, big cheesy. He says, Mona, you look gorgeous. And he thinks, I should have told my other self about the impossible crimes case, but while he's inside me, he'll find out about it quickly enough. Caption for panel two on page five says, An hour later at the benefit ball, Jim introduces Mona to the star performer of the evening. Yep, see Jim. Gesturing, Mona shaking hands with, well, it's the guy who we saw on the cover in the splash panel with his Dracula-esque, Zatara-esque, Mandrake-esque costume. Man's doffing his top hat. Jim is, as I say, making the introductions and saying, This is Dirk Raleigh, whose feats of magic will astonish and I hope please our guests. So he's, Jim's booked him for the, the secret policeman's ball then. This is quite interesting because we get a thought bubble linked into Jim's little speech bubble there. But it's not Jim that's thinking. It's obviously the spectre. Because this thought bubble says, I've got to get going. Jim thinks those impossible crimes were the work of a clever criminal. The next panel shows the spectre emerging from Jim's body and looming up over the guests at the police ball. And as the spectre evaporates out of Jim, he continues to think, But I sense they are the psychic manifestations of some spirit creature. No mortal man could have performed such deeds. Only a spirit body could have stolen the money and gems in that manner. I'll visit the scene of both crimes and seek out a clue to the culprit. It's a good thing the Spectre remembered to turn invisible as he left Jim's body there. Otherwise, he would have freaked everyone out. Can you imagine? (laughs) There'd have been chaos. Chaos at the policeman's ball. Awful. That's a really good point. Spectre's no daft, though, remember. (laughs) So the caption then for the next panel, still on page five, says, With Jim Corrigan's knowledge planted firmly in his own mind, the discarnate detective speeds to the vaults of the Gateway City Bank. And as the Spectre arrives, he's thinking, Yes. The scent of eerie evil still lingers here. 
I'll spread a psychic light across the vault, have it reveal where the thieving spirit being made contact. And there's sort of green-like energy tendrils or tentacles now sort of looming out from around the spectre, poking around the room. kind of looks misty, but there's also a bit of an mm-hmm. electric charge to it. Anyway, the caption for the next panel says... But as that pallid spirit radiance seeps across the vault... Spectre thinks... It was the work of an etheric being. Oh! And then we see the spectre stretching, almost in pain. We can see in the background that his green energy has highlighted handprints in a couple of spots around the bank vault. So that's obviously the lingering effects of the etheric being. Spectre continues to think. The sinister energies that filled this vault, tugging at my very essence. And he's been pulled and distorted. And the caption for the next panel says... As the eldritch forces in the vault tear at the ghostly guardian like a thermaturgic tornado. Blimey. Yeah, we can see the spectre continuing to be stretched and distorted. It's almost like he's been stretched into a big, long, black, lined version of himself. Almost his head is stretched out and a long neck. He looks kind of like a weird, scary ghost plastic man. Mm. It's like he's stretching around now through the bars in the vault and he's thinking, I am being wrenched apart. My ectoplasmic energy is shredded. I must escape this evil flux or perish. Over the page now to page six. And a caption for the first panel on page six says, With a furious lunge, she breaks free of that awesome aura. With a giant whoosh. Sound effect. Spectre is broken free from the bank. He's returned to normal. Sort of shape, size, colour. He's flying up above the city and he's thinking, I, I've never experienced anything like that. Those evil energies exist only within the vault. I can't utilise them to track down the one who caused them. Perhaps I will fare better at the Soames crime site. Okay, caption in for the next panel. Within moments, the spirit sleuth stares down at the looted jewel chest in the Soames mansion. Nice close-up of the, the spectre here looking at the chest on the table. Specs thinking. The force still hovers here, but confined, leaving me no way to trace it. Wait! Suddenly I sense an extension of this same force coming from another place. Caption for the next panel. As a nebulous curtain of radiant psych energy appears to the spectre. Some great see what you see here. It's interesting experiencing that with the Neil Adams approach. It's interesting, yeah. A basic little burst of golden energy has appeared above the, the jewel chest that the spectre was looking at. The spectre holds out his hand towards it and he's thinking. The etheric being who left the evil flux here at the chest is now engaged in more evil elsewhere. For that is a consciousness curtain emanating from an etheric body in action, just as lightning leaves a trail of ionic air to reveal its presence. Caption for the next panel. Next moment, the etheric trail leads to a museum, where... Yes, and we see the top-hatted figure, who we've already seen a couple of points in the story already, lifting a painting off of a wall. You can see there's a bag on the ground where he's already been stashing some paintings. <laughs> yes. So he's getting stuck in. Fill your boots, as Gary Smith used to say. Spectre zooms into view from above. I'm really getting a Gil Kane vibe to yeah. this. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done a few of his stories mm-hmm. and kind of being used to that, it's very interesting. I don't think I'd ever really credited him as being that big an influence on Neil Adams, but it seems obvious at this point. Anyway, the spectre zooms in above the top-hatted magician-like figure and he thinks and observes, huh? It has the form of the magician Jim just introduced to Mona. And the top-hatted figure turns, sees the spectre arriving and says, What's this? The spirit sleuth known as the spectre? If you're here on business, I advise you to stand clear of me and I won't harm you. (laughs) The spectre grabs him in the final panel of page six saying, 
I'm here on official business, all right, and you're it. And the sooner I finish it, the better I'll like it. The etheric being with a face of Dirk Rowley replies, Take your ghastly hands off me, ghost. Or do I have to demonstrate my powers are far superior to yours? Yep, and it looks like the pictures that he's already grabbed have gone flying. Oh, that's very careless of the Spectre. Spectre might, might like museums, but he's clearly not respectful of the art itself. We arrive at the top of page 7. Scary Dirk Rowley etheric being is thinking, My stay in demonic Arkham Town served to make me the most powerful being in the universe. And then he says out loud, Nothing can withstand me, living or otherwise. He gestures with his cape and has a big burst of energy that strikes the spectre with a katak sound effect. The spectre recoils, saying, His cloak, everything about him filled with eerie energies repelling me. The spectre starts to assert himself in the next panel, saying, That was a neat trick. Quoting Ross Geller <laughs> in Friends. Um... <laughs> But I'll top it by pulling some startling stunts of my own. Dirk Rowley, etheric being, then. Well, he replies, While you're pulling, I'll pull a rabbit out of my high hat. Yep, yeah, he's holding his top hat in his hand. We can see him pulling by the ears a rabbit out of nowhere. An interesting structure to this page, which is very Neil Adams 8. The top almost seems to sort of be on a diagonal. The first panel, starting sort of low on the left-hand side and sort of increasing towards the right-hand side, and then that's mirrored at the very bottom mm -hmm. by another panel that starts sort of small on the left-hand side and goes to the large. And then in the middle, there's a sequence of three panels which starts large on the left and shrinks as it gets to the right. Very, very effective, very dynamic way of telling the story. So in panel three, the rabbit is out of the hat and etheric Dirk Raleigh is hurling towards the spectre, saying, Keep your eye on that rabbit, spectre. And the spectre observes, very helpfully, it's growing larger and larger. The next panel, with a whump, the rabbit's paws collide with the spectre's face. Dirk Rowley, etheric being, says, You might call that blow a rabbit punch. <laughs> <laughs> and the spectre looks a bit cartoony riled here. He's thinking, The rabbit's full of the same evil etheric energy against which my own spectral abilities are seemingly useless. Uh oh, we're in trouble here. The final panel of page 7 is a caption that says, Summoning up the powers of good with which his body is imbued, the disembodied detective grasps the ruthless <laughs> rabbit and... The ruthless rabbit is a, a very engaging pub in Islington, London, mm. where legend has it means we are all met for the first time. The spectre's grabbed the rabbit. Is that is that the ears of the... Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. He's grabbed the rabbit by the ears as a burst of golden energy as he swings it around. The spectre thinks, good gives me added strength, but it's only a temporary thing. Must quickly overcome that etheric body before. However, etheric being Dirk Rowley has another trick up his sleeve, and he says, Ah, a bouquet of flowers up my sleeve, bearing the sweet smell of defeat for the spectre. Yes, he's brought out a lovely bunch of pink blooms. We arrive at the top of page 8. Spectre's on to Dirk Rowley and his tricks, because he turns and with a whap, he throws the rabbit, so it collides with Dirk Rowley etheric being. There's a crackle as the energy's unleashed, this, this all takes place, and the flowers go flying, the spectre says, now for a rapid-fire follow-up on my own, hitting him hard enough to knock all that evil stuffing out of him. Okay, so that's what's going on there. Panel 2, etheric being Dirk Rowley says, It's my deal again, Spectre, as I change the name of our game. Yeah, with that frrrp sound effect, Rowley is another little magician's trick, and he flicks a packet of cards towards the Spectre, and these cards are also glowing with the same golden energy that we've seen already. The Spectre observes in his thoughts, The cards, growing large as did the rabbit, and figures on it coming alive, attacking me. 
Yeah, now this is interesting. Spectre's being struck with a pow. It looks like something's being held by a hand that's coming at one of the cards. It's not the clearest of panels, I can't lie. A voice from off camera says, Club him, Jack! And then the caption for the final panel of page 8, we're only on page 8, listeners, says, The air is filled with the snap and crackle of etheric energies beating the ghostly guardian. Yeah, this panel's going on a socials, I think, maybe. You can see that the Jack of Diamonds is basically... It's like he's got an axe in his hand. That's what it looks like struck the spectre on the previous panel. He's striking the spectre here. You can see some other playing cards flying around. The King of Clubs has a sword. It looks as though he's looming out of a card and striking a spectre. There's a few crack and whamp sound effects. We get to the top of page 9. The spectre's down on his knees. And the King of Diamonds, the King of Clubs, the Jack of Clubs, and other cards are looming before him, surrounded by flaming golden energy. The spectre has his hand to his head and he's thinking... Those cards look like big sails, and sails react to wind. So, I'll blow up a storm. And then with a ba-whoosh in the next panel, we see the spectre blowing at the cards, sending them all sort of scattered, and the spectre thinks, slam the cards into one another. Wow. Well, at this point, I'll say, like, it does feel like one of the showcase stories still, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because obviously it's written by Gardner. But well, we, I think we speculated before that issue one felt very much like another issue of the showcase mm-hmm. run and, and this doesn't really feel so far too different either I'm now trying to picture each of these panels as if they've been drawn by Murphy Anderson is that a bad thing I don't know because I like both artists anyway we arrive at the bottom of page 9 and there are two panels which make up a sort of full rectangle but they're split with a diagonal the caption for the first panel says though wrecked with psychic weakness the spectre staggers toward his loot happy foe yeah we see the spectre stepping over the playing cards and we can see in the foreground of this first panel the etheric being Dirk Crawley has recovered his big bag of paintings let's take another painting hold on we can see him holding the frame he's going to continue on the blag and he says almost forgot what brought me here to gather up these art treasures spectre's not having it with a swock he punches Raleigh out in the next panel thinking I refuse to concede his powers are stronger than mine. Tiny caption says continued on second page following. So we arrive at the top of page 10. Dirk Wally's down on the ground. Turns towards the spectre saying, If you insist on a fight to the finish, so be it. Die, spectre. Again. Ah, he said the name of the story, Luke. Yes. I like when that happens. Mm. Dirk Wally down on the ground is gesturing. and Flying out of his sleeve is a big long string of silk handkerchiefs. Every magician cliche you could want, all in one <laughs> comic. These handkerchiefs are also glowing with energy and they're flying towards the spectre. Caption for panel two says, Writhing and twisting, the very coloured sash twines about the struggling body of the disembodied detective. Thank God, I'd love to go back in time and tell Gardner to write simpler captions, with all this in mind. It's a little interesting sort of montage to this panel. We see the spectre struggling with the silks that are winding round, so that he finally sort of concludes with being completely wound up in purple and green and orange and blue and yellow and red silk hankies. And as he struggles and all this takes place, the spectre is thinking, This thing is like a living etheric snake, <gasps> getting tighter, tighter, squeezing all the energy out of me. No way to tear it loose. It's too strong for me. Is this the end? So in this last little sequence, we can see that his left boot, or booty, is popping out. Spectre, as he struggles, thinks, only one part of me is still free to move. So the caption for the next panel, page 10, says, His boot stamps the floor, and in answer to that outpouring of psychic energy, astral flames leap upward. Yes, with a thump, thump, thump. See the spectre stamping on the ground, and sure enough, little flames appearing, and the spectre thinks, A spirit flame to burn a spirit sash. 
caption for the next panel, the final panel on page 10, says... By the time the spectre bursts free of the blazing satin... This is a great panel because it looks like our man has turned up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very interestingly. Mm. Our man has appeared in the middle of the, mu- the museum. There's a ball of flames on the ground behind him. And our man thinks and observes, He's gone with his loot. And since he is no longer in action... I have no way of following him. Yes, it wasn't our man, it was the spectre. And the flames is obviously what's left of the handkerchiefs and there's no sign of etheric being Dirk Rolly. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, the lighting on it really does make it look as if it's our man. It's tremendous. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if our man turned up in an issue of the spectre? If only. Mm. If only that happens. (laughs) Stay tuned, listeners. Yes, um, over the page then to page 11. And the caption for the first panel says, Later, in the privacy of Jim Corrigan's bedroom. Oh, good. Lots of talking for me in this page. (laughs) (laughs) Jim is sort of sat up in bed. It looks like he's been disturbed. Maybe he was having a nice dream. We noticed that there's no sign of Mona. So she's not staying over yet. (laughs) At this point in the relationship, Jim looks raging, obviously. And a spectre is floating in the air in front of him, cross-legged. Jim is saying, you say you tangled with the person responsible for the impossible crimes? Well, don't just sit there. Tell me. Spectre replies. Dirk Raleigh. Jim hops out of bed, looking even angrier than he did in the previous panel, as the spectre relaxes and reclines, still floating above the bed. Jim leaps out of bed, as I say, and says, The magician? But that's as impossible as those impossible crimes. He was at the ball all night long. I saw him. Nevertheless. He was robbing an art museum. At least, his etheric body was robbing it. Jim has his hands above his head here. He looks in despair and he's saying, What in thunder is an etheric body? It's a spirit counterpart of the human body which it resembles and usually subject to the commands of its physical double. Nice midi shot of the spectre of doing some exposition in the next panel. By changing its density... An etheric double can pass through solid walls, yet keep itself solid enough to pick up tangible objects. By surrounding these solid objects with its aura, it is able to transport them through walls. Numerous cases of etheric doubles have been authenticated. As an example, in 1774, Alphonse du Liguri, while in prison, was simultaneously seen at the deathbed of Pope Clement XIV. Good grief. It's all here, listeners. Mm -hmm. Respected researchers like Dr. Horowitz have taken photographs of this phenomenon, which is also known as bilocation. Spectre's now sat near the gym's bed. Jim in his nice blue jammies is standing behind him, saying, Okay, okay, I'll buy that if you say so. Now tell me, how do we stop this spook crook? Spectre's stretching out here, actually. Obviously he's doing his sort of... Calisthenics. Yes, before (laughs) he goes to his kip. Mm -hmm. Rubbing his legs here. Maybe he should actually just take a couple of ibuprofen if he's feeling it after the battle with Raleigh. Inspector says to Jim, That's what I've been mulling over. There is a chance that, if you hit the physical Dirk Raleigh at the same time that I hit his etheric body, we may knock it out of existence. Jim gets back into bed, and as he does so, the spectre merges with him. Looks a bit dodgy, actually. (laughs) Looks very dodgy. As he merges, the ghostly spooky guardian says, So next time the etheric double strikes... It'll be your job to land a KO punch the very instant I do. Now, let's both get some sleep and rest up for our ordeal to come. And this little segment concludes with a tiny caption that says... Story continues on third page following. Wow. 
I think the Spectre should do some motivational speaking or some, you know, dinner party engagements with all that, uh, yeah, all that information you can it, relay like that. It was quite an info dump, wasn't it? Yeah, quite, so, quite the raconteur. I think you would be. <laughs> so we passed the aforementioned Spectre interviews Neil Adams, which we'll put in the socials, and mm-hmm. pass a full page advertisement for Team Beam, which very interesting is labelled Teeny Quiz. So there's a little row of boxes which are labelled yes or no, and half a dozen questions. So I'm going to ask Peter the questions. So Peter, yes or no to each of these. Okay. Do you have problems communicating with the establishment? No. Okay. Do you find older people bug you about your long-haired friends? Most of my friends are bald. Same. Yes. (laughs) Do the discs you play shock your parents? Have they never heard of streaming? (laughs) Do you have problems when it comes to borrowing your dad's set of wheels? I've got my own wheels, thank you very much. Okay. Do grown-ups cop out on the clothes you wear? I sometimes compliment you on your t-shirts and your jackets. You do, I? that's true. That's yeah, probably uh-huh. fair. Yeah. And the final question, are you still looked upon as a gawky adolescent when you try to express your hang-ups? I would answer yes, yes to that, to that one. one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, so here we go, an advert for Teen Beam there, which mm. I think was Teen Beam when it was first advertised. So this advert continues, if you answered yes to more than one of these questions, then you need instant relief from the traumas of modern-day society. Get down to the real nitty-gritty with a psychedelic experience, Teen Beam. The only 12 cents now mag in full groovy colour. You won't find this mag unless you ask for it. Yes, so there we go. The now mag. Awesome. I feel it's sticking on some Mama Cass or something at the moment (laughs) after reading that, to be honest. So then, after that brief interlude, Jim's at a good kip. We arrive at top page 13. Some days later, just as Jim Corrigan is about to leave for police headquarters... Yes, Jim, with his coat over his shoulder, has just answered the phone. You see, he's a little vase full of flowers in his apartment. Very nice-looking lamp. Anyway, Jim's got the phone in his hand. Jim is saying, Mona, how nice to hear from you. When are we going to get together again? And on the other side of the line, Mona says, How about Friday evening for the charity union dinner? And we cut in the next panel to Mona at home. And she's wearing a very sort of flimsy, doubtless see-through nighty, poised and posed in her bed. Lush tumbling locks. Doesn't look very comfortable, to be honest. I wonder what she's been up to anyway. She's been doing her calisthenics. She is. That's mm. obviously what she's yes. doing. She's not writhing about, thinking about Jim Corrigan or anything. Anyway, she says, I'm inviting you to be my escort. Down the line, Jim says, Well, I'm very busy right now. Even if I tell you that magician Dirk Raleigh is on the entertainment programme? That does it, Mona. I'll be happy to take you. Okay, so Mona is hanging up in the next panel and she's putting her phone back on the receiver. Mona looks a little pensive and she's thinking, Odd, Jim didn't seem enthusiastic about our date until I mentioned that magician. The caption for panel four says, At the charity union dinner. And presumably that's Dirk Rolly on stage. He's now wearing a turban in the sort of Sargon the Sorcerer, mm-hmm. or I was the Invincible sort of style. And we haven't met either of those gentlemen on the podcast yet, but we'll do before too long. Very soon. Yeah, very moody panel. We can see Jim and Mona. Mona's hair's all swept up again. She's in a little bit of headgear on. She's wearing a green dress this time. Jim has a glass in hand. And on the stage, gesturing away, it's the aforementioned Dirk Rolly. He's in a spotlight, so he's in full colour, whereas Jim and Mona are sort of shaded. Jim is thinking. Maybe this will be the night that Etheric Double will make another appearance, giving Dirk Raleigh another perfect alibi. We round out page 13 with a caption for the next panel that says, 
Meanwhile, the discarnate detective is following a psychic energy curtain to a fashionable jewel store on the west end of Gateway City. Psychic energy curtain actually played at the King Tut stage at Transmit that I was working at the weekend there. Gosh. Yeah, the chances of that happen. I'll have to show them this the next time we see them. Were they good? They were alright, given that they didn't exist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So this panel shows a very dynamic spectre zooming along this golden burst of energy that's the psychic energy curtain. He's obviously clocked something happening. He's thinking, there he is. Now for the knockout punch. Now that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Because that thought bubble really follows on very well from what Jim was just thinking, doesn't it? Yeah. In many ways, could they have the same mind? In know. many ways they do, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. So the spectre then cries out loud in a speech bubble that's highlighted green. Jim, get ready! It's almost like he's transmitting, because there's a slight jaggedy edge to it. It's almost like he's broadcasting it to Detective Corrigan. We arrive at the top of page 14, and Jim's in the middle of his dinner. <laughs> the caption for the panel says, Back at the charity dinner! <laughs> it's not very really flattering for Detective Corrigan, because he's got his mouth open, it's like, and his spoon is up to his mouth. He's obviously in the middle of his opening course of soup. Which is horrendous. Orange soup at that. Yeah. So, um, Carrot and coriander, perhaps. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it was all the rage in Gateway City <laughs> in those days. Maybe that's why Jim's got red hair, because he eats so much <laughs> of it. Um, so, yes, Jim's in, in, about to take a mouthful of soup, and he receives the Spectre's ghostly radio message. So, again, we get a repeat of, Jim, get ready. Corrigan thinks, what? It's time for double action. Next panel, on page 14, Jim stands up from the table with a plunk. He throws a spoon into his plate. Um, he continues to receive the spooky, ghostly radio message from the Spectre. The Spectre's voice coming through says, I'm closing in. Hurry, get near Raleigh. Remember, we have to synchronise our blows. Strike our targets at the same instant. Now, as Jim stands up from the table and moves away, he says, Please excuse me, Bona. And the next panel, scattering busboys and other guests, he's leaping up onto the stage towards magician Dirk Rolly. Mona stands up from the table in the background and she cries, Jim, oh my goodness, he's run amok. As Jim draws closer to magician Dirk Rolly, Rolly says, Captain Corrigan, what are you trying to do? Spectre's radio voice beams in saying, Now, Jim, now. And Corrigan attempts to punch Dirk Rolly, but he misses and Jim says, Ah, he ducked under my fist. Caption for the next panel, Before Jim can strike another blow... Jim is being grabbed and sort of restrained by a couple of the, the restaurant staff. One of the busboys says, Calm down, man! Corrigan replies, Let go of me! I have to hit him! Dirk Raleigh, in the background, points and says, Corrigan, I'm going to press charges against you for this unwarranted attack! Now at the top of page 15, the caption for the first panel says, Even as Jim struggles savagely to reach his quarry, the disembodied detective makes contact with Dirk Raleigh's etheric double. Yes, we see the spectre arriving through the wall of the jewel store, and jewels go flying as with a swock sound effect, he punches out Dirk Raleigh's etheric body, turban goes flying from Dirk's head, and the spectre is saying, Now Jim, now! What's stopping you? The next panel shows etheric being Dirk Raleigh lying flat on the ground, looking up at the spectre, and he says, Back again for unfinished business, Spectre. All right, let's settle it here and now. And Rolly gestures, and what looks like a curled-up rug is now flying towards the Spectre. Off-panel, the Spectre's thought bubbles say, Jim didn't hit his man. Now I'm really in for it. And with a zit sound effect caption in the next panel of page 15, Jim is struck by the rug that Rolly sent flying towards him. Off-panel, Rolly says, 
You've heard of flying carpets, Spectre. Now see one, unlike any you've heard about. It's energized to beat you to a phantom pulp. The next panel is basically Spectre versus Carpet, which is almost as good as um, Zombie versus Shark. A few more sound effects as the, the, car the rolled up carpet strikes the Spectre in the back of the head. Spectre thinking, Paralyzing my body! Sapping my strength! Caption for the final panel on page 15 says, Though racked by evil energy, the Spectre manages to fling the magical rug away from him. Yes, with a whap, the Spectre manages to strike the rug, sending it flying into a handy nearby light fitting. Interesting to point out as he does so, his light glove turns blue. Probably just a colouring mistake or maybe a side effect. Anyway, with a couple more thzzz and thzzz, the scary magic carpet collides with the light fitting, and the Spectre thinks, With each contact of that energy, I grow weaker. How much longer can I hold out? Now that definitely feels sort of in line with some of the other things we've experienced mm -hmm. with the, the Spectre stories, you know, other magic having a bad effect on them. Yeah. We arrive now at the top of page 16. From his fallen turban, the mystic magician pulls out a great gem and... Yeah, that's about to say what you see that I'm kind of annoyed at because it would be nice to see the actual shot of him maybe taking the gem from... Yeah. From his turban, because what we actually see is the fact he's already done that. He's gesturing towards the spectre. Massive burst of pink energy <laughs> coming out and striking the spectre. is now immobile. Etheric being Duck Wally then says, With this ruby of mighty Thothum, wonder wizard of dark demon trees, which I obtained in Arkham Town, shall I bring about your final doom, spectre? Gosh. Well... The next panel, we get some very helpful CBC dialogue from Duck Rolly as the Spectre starts to shrink down and be drawn towards the Red Jewel. As this takes place, Rolly is saying, Grow smaller, Spectre. Feel the rays shrink you even as they draw you into that gem created in the spawning ground of time and space. Once inside Thulthum's bewitched gem, there is no escape. In this manner, I condemn you to eternal imprisonment. Thulthum reminds me of the word Volthum, which is floating in my head for some reason, but I can't remember what that's got anything to do with. Earth 3, Power Rings, Power Battery. Thank you. There you go. Awesome. So as the spectre starts to shrink down towards the little jewel, he's thinking, No more resistance powers left in me. The caption for the next panel. His foe encased within the crystalline walls of the right enchanted ruby, the evil etherichism makes his exit. So we see in, in the back of the panel, through a window, Duck Wally flying away, thinking, that task almost exhausted me. I must return to Arkham, which alone can renew my psychic strength. Put in the foreground of the panel, and I have to say it's very careless of him to trap the spectre in a jewel and not take the jewel with him. Mm -hmm. We see the spectre contained within the little red jewel. It's fascinating and stuck inside the gem. Spectre does not look happy. The caption name for the next panel on page 16. In the long-forgotten streets of ancient Arkham, where walk the earthly shades of warlocks and wizards, and their servant demon spirits, comes one who is also Dirk Raleigh. We've jumped a fair bit in the narrative, I feel, at this point here. <laughs> we see Raleigh standing what I guess is a street. It's not too clear from this panel. And it looks as though he's drawing in the demon spirits, like the caption just said. He's drawn in full colour, rendered in full colour, but we see various-looking animalistic scary shapes floating around and coming towards him. Very like, you know, the background creatures that Peter described on the cover. Mm -hmm. And as these beasties, these ghostly beasties are all floating towards Etheric being Dirt Wally, he is thinking, The evil in this place is so intense. 
The evil emanation so strong I could bathe in them forever. And the final panel of page 16 shows him celebrating, really, what's going on. He's exultant as all the demons are all drawn up and start to merge into him. He's got his arms spread wide, he looks ecstatic, and he's saying, Yeah, you demons and you wizards, seep into my psychic pores, strengthen me against all good, give me of your evil wills and sorceries. Blimey, this etheric being guy definitely feels like a real threat, it must be said. Mm -hmm. This is pretty scary, it's, even compared to the, the Chinatown stuff that we had recently, this, this feels like a big scary thing, I'm genuinely worried. Right, top page 17. In a grim old manse that once belonged to a sect of demon worshippers, the etheric being recuperates. Yes, he's back in his Dracula Zatara Mandrake-esque outfit that we saw in the cover and the, the splash panel. And he's seated in the throne that Peter described with the arms rests that are sort of curved into giant fanged open mouthed snakes. There's the evidence of more of the, the sort of yellow demonic creatures floating around him. And as Dirk Wally relaxes in this chair, he's thinking, When I wake to serve my physical other self, I will be the most potent force in and out of this celestial sphere. With the spectre imprisoned in the enchanted ruby, I need fear no other thing. Yeah, well, as I say, mate, you left him behind, which is very careless. You don't know what he could be up to. It's a good thing then we got a slow dissolve now. The next panel caption for panel 2, page 17, says, The world is retinous in the eyes of the ghostly guardian as he flings himself back and forth within his corundum cell. See the spectre obviously trying to break his way out of the ruby gem inside, and he's thinking, Just as a blob of mercury can cause an object to roll about when the mercury moves, so too can I move this ruby. I can roll it hither and yon in this room, but to what avail? And the next panel, wow, he's stretched out within the ruby and he's managed to tip it over. So he's now sort of upside down, sort of rolling around. It's like he's cartwheeling almost. Yeah, aye. It's the kind of upside down version of that Leonardo da Vinci drawing. Oh yes. And the spectre sighted something else on the floor of the room where this is all taking place in the jeweler's shop. The spectre observes and thinks, That diamond! Raleigh's etheric double dropped it when I punched him. Diamond is the hardest of all substances. If I can get up enough speed, and with a clunk. In the next panel, page 17, the spectre's ruby has collided with the diamond, but it hasn't had the result the spectre wanted. The spectre thinks, no possibility of shattering the ruby, but if I can just scratch it. Caption for the next panel. Again and again, he hurls the red gem against the blue-white stone until... Yes, we get a flink sound effect. The spectre looks, even though he looks manic here, he looks very, very pleased. Beautifully rendered by Neil Adams, and, you know, obviously completely in red, a little white crack across it. Spectre's thinking, Did it! A deep enough scratch, weakening the crystalline structure of the gem. Now to find another hard object around here. Over the page to page 18. Next moment, the fast-rolling ruby shatters against a cast-iron radiator. Yes, with a clunk, we see the ornate foot of the radiator, and the ruby bouncing along and breaking against it. Spectre's giant booties are shown as he breaks free, returns to his normal size, thinking, This would never have happened if Jim Corrigan hadn't failed me. I'd better look him up, find out why. Change the scenery here, slow dissolve, things are not looking good for Detective Corrigan. The caption for panel 2 of page 18 says, At this moment, Detective Captain Jim Corrigan faces troubles of his own. Jim's basically getting a telling off from his boss. His boss is a crew cut, very severe looking. Lee Marvin Lake. Yeah, that's a good yeah, that's a good point. The commissioner with a pointed finger 
Reads that Jem is saying, Corrigan, that was the most reprehensible conduct ever displayed by any police officer. You're suspended from all duties while you await departmental trial. And in the background of this, it's, um, it's your actual Dirk Raleigh, who's obviously the one that's made the complaint. And Dirk Raleigh, looking very smug, says, That's telling him, Commissioner Hackett. We move to panel two, and Commissioner Hackett says, Turn in your badge, Corrigan. We get a nice close shot of Jim's hand with his Gateway City Police badge handing it to his boss. He replies, Yes, sir. And at this point, Inspector feeds in through the wall, and he thinks, Looks like Jim tried to connect with Wally, but didn't quite make it. Caption for panel four then says, Later, after Jim has driven Mona Marcy home, the entire story comes out. Yes, the Spectre is in the passenger seat of Jim's car. As Jim drives along, it's at night, we, we can see the, the car headlights stretching out ahead. Spectre is saying, Didn't you even try to explain why it was so urgent for you to hit Raleigh? Are you kidding? All I had to do was say Dirk Raleigh's etheric body was out robbing for him while his physical body was here, and they throw me in the loony bin. At least this way I'm still free to help you if I can. No ifs about it. You help me or I'm done for. To add to our difficulties, it'll be even harder to overcome our foes next time. Since Raleigh's been tipped off about our manner of attack, he'll do everything he can to avoid being hit by you when I again clash with his etheric self. Use all your skills now. Everything depends on you. Stakes are high. Top of page 19. Caption for the first panel. For the next two days, the suspended detective captain trails the stage magician without success. Until one night. See, the Spectre's obviously trailing Dirk Raleigh because they are at Gateway Playland. Obviously the local carnival fun spot destination. Jim is trailing Raleigh. We can see Raleigh walking ahead. We can see some of the attractions in the crowd in the background. Jim is thinking, going into this amusement park, is he trying to have some fun at my expense? The next panel, we see Raleigh looking at his watch. And is that a sort of throw something to burst a balloon or throw something into the big scary mouth? Yeah, it looks like it. A man in a straight blazer and a little straw boater entertaining a kid in the background. But Mm -hmm. there's a sign that says three balls, 25 cents. So in the foreground, Raleigh's looking at his watch. In the background, Jim is loitering and he gets a little Spectre radio message coming through, which says, Jim, I've made contact with the etheric curtain which reveals Raleigh's double is in action. Corrigan thinks a reply. I'm ready for action whenever you are, Spectre. Next panel, Jim observes that Raleigh is closely looking at his watch, and indeed Jim thinks. He keeps looking at his watch. Something's up, all right. I'd better keep closer to him. Caption name for the next panel. The next moment. Yeah, we see Jim following Raleigh. Raleigh is going through a turnstile. There's a sign above the turnstile that says, Airplane right. Jim's following, thinking, Taking an airplane ride. As it gets close to the 11th hour. Gotta take a flyer, too. Nice mention of the debut episode of Matt Smith's Doctor there. Yeah. That's fun. As Jim then, however, in the final panel of page 19, tries to enter the airplane ride, he's sort of held up by the guy who runs it. He's a mustachioed-looking figure, has a palm up, stopping Jim, and he says, Hold it, mister. We're all filled up. You'll have to wait for the next ride. Grumpy Jim thinks, But that'll be too late. I can't fail Spectre again. Top of page 20 now, caption of the first panel. His face etched in dismay, Jim sees his quarry spin out of reach. Nice aerial shot here of Raleigh enjoying the airplane ride. Sort of red airplane, you know, on spokes from a central thingy all flying around. You see Jim looking up, Spectre's radio voice comes in saying, Jim, I see the etheric double. Hurry, get within hitting distance of Dirk Raleigh. Jim thinks, 
How can I get close to him when he's away up there and I'm away down here? The next panel shows Jim looking up at the spinning aeroplanes. Spectre's radio voice saying, All set, Jim. I'll give you a 20-second countdown. At zero, hit him hard. Pressure's on. Mm-hmm. Jim starts to run in the next panel, thinking, Just got an idea. I have a friend not far from here. Spectre's radio voice beams in. 20. Next panel shows Jim arriving at a very helpful human cannonball. Jim knows the guy who runs it. He runs up and says, Ed, you've got to help me. Ed wears what looks like a doiby hat, and he's a pinstripe suit, looks like a bit of a hustler. He's only up a very fancy helmet that's yellow with red stars on it. And given everything that has to take place here, it's fascinating that it happens so quickly. Ed replies, I've read about your trouble with the police commissioner, Jim. I shouldn't do it, but out of old friendship, get in. Spectre's radio voice beams in saying, 13. 12. So it's taken Jim 8 seconds from when the spectre started counting to reach the human cannonball. Not just reach, but also explain the situation to yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. I guess the aeroplane ride must have been right next to the human mm-hmm. cannonball. Very lucky. So the next little montage of panels shows the cannonball being angled, Jim taking off his jacket, getting prepped, because as we arrive at the top of page 21, oh my goodness, Jim is now in his short sleeves, wearing the fancy helmet, and he's climbing into the human cannonball cannon. The Spectre's radio voice beams in, saying, Seven. Six. So it's taken five seconds for Mm. Jim to get his jack off, get the helmet on, and get into the cannon. Jim looks down at Ed and says, Aim the cannon at the airplane ride, Ed, and don't miss. With a baroom in panel two of page 21, Detective Corrigan, wearing the nice yellow helmet decorated with red stars and a stripe, is fired from the cannon and goes flying towards Dark Raleigh. The Spectre's little radio voice beams in, saying, Four, three. Jim looks appalled in panel three as he thinks, Oh no, I'm going to miss him. Spectre's voice beams in, Two. And then the next panel that rounds out page 21, a little caption says, At the last moment. With a swock, Jim has reached the airplane ride and is able to punch Dirk Rolly with a vicious left-hander. And he yells, Contact! And another caption says, At this very instant, some miles away. The spectre punches out the etheric Dirk Rolly, and at the same time, as he says, Zero, his voice beams into Jim. Zero. Zero! Continued in second page following. Unexhausted listeners, I don't know about you. Pass a full page advertisement for issue 198 of Batman, which is an 80 page giant featuring the Joker, Catwoman, Penguin, and all sorts of stuff. Never mind about that though, we arrive at the top of page 22. The caption for the first panel says After those simultaneous blows, thud home. You see the Spectre with etheric beam locator body, Dirk Raleigh stretched out on the ground. The Spectre's kneeling down and thinks, It worked! Well, to imprison this etheric body in a more escape-proof cell than the one it prepared for me. The caption then for the next panel says, Soon after, in Wizard and Social Arkham, the spirit sleuth performs special rites and incantations to combat the evil emanations of the demons and fiends that flock about. That little caption is helpfully placed over the spectre's cape. Nice rendering from Mr. Adams. Dirt Raleigh's etheric body is sort of stretched out now in an altar. Spectre is gesturing and sort of striking the etheric body with energy and we can see the demons sort of all howling around. The Spectre's thinking, This psychic radiation of goodness will seal off the etheric body from the evil upon which it feeds. 
Without that evil to sustain him, he will lie inert for all time. Caption name for the next panel on page 22. At police headquarters, a little later... Jim Corrigan's standing in the background of this panel. You can see Commissioner Hackett at his desk. Dirk Raleigh has his hand on the desk and he's very annoyed. He's yelling at the Commissioner saying, You can't hold me. I haven't done anything. Commissioner replies, How about it, Corrigan? Do you have any proof Dirk Raleigh is a thief? If you hope to clear yourself, you'd better produce it. And then a voice from off-panel says, I have proof, Police Commissioner. The next panel shows the spectre emerging through the wall, carrying the big bag of paintings, which also has a pile of cash falling out of it as well. And the spectre is saying, Here's the loot his etheric self stole, which I found in Arkham. The Commissioner Crewcott a go-go replies, But no district attorney in the world could hope to convince a jury it was the physical Dirk Raleigh that forced his so-called etheric twin to commit those robberies. (laughs) That's the best dialogue ever, isn't it? It certainly is. Oh my goodness. Law and Order Spectral Victims Unit. (laughs) That's insane. I mean, it's like a bit of classic Eric Sayward style recap from last week, Doctor Who exposition. Mm -hmm. You know, while you were enjoying... 48 hours augmented sleep in the Delta, you know, artificially induced sleep in the Delta Wave augmenter, blah, blah, blah. But no, district attorney in the world. That's astonishing. Anyway, Spectre replies to the commissioner. I came prepared for that. Let me introduce Hubert Desmond, first hold-up victim of Dirk Raleigh and his etheric duplicate. He's been in a hospital ever since their robbery attack. Spectre gestures and coming through the door behind him is the pedestrian who had a go at the start of the story. Introduces Hubert Desmond. And Hubert Desmond says, I'm prepared to testify that Dirk Raleigh robbed me. We arrive at the top of page 24, and a busy, crowded panel with five faces. Dirk Raleigh declares, It's your word against mine, and I deny it. Hubert replies, You can't deny it, when you're wearing my stolen watch. Your watch? There's nothing on it to prove it's yours. Commissioner, please open the back of the watch. And, of course, in the first panel here, Raleigh is gesturing so that we can see the watch. Commissioner looks on, and Spectre and Corrigan exchange looks in the background. Panel two, we see the watch has been opened up indeed. And the Commissioner says, Sure enough, it has your name on it, Mr. Desmond. And we see a little inscription that says, Made especially for Hubert Desmond, May 1966. And off-panel, Jim Corrigan says, That's all the proof we'll need to put Raleigh away. And we wind up now. Final caption. For the final panel that says, After Dirk Raleigh is booked for robbery. See the commissioner shaking hands with Jim Corrigan. Commissioner's saying, What can I say, Jim? Except that naturally your rank is restored and congratulations on a job well done. And Jim replies, I'm grateful all my cases aren't as tough as this one. In the foreground of the panel, the looming spectre thinks, To echo my other self, I'm also grateful all my cases aren't as tough as this one. The end. Gosh. And there's another advert for Team Beam magazine. I know. They certainly are plugging this yes. Team Beam. Uh, yeah, it's good. It says it brings you the most hilarious exclusive of the year, Monkey's Family Album. And that's Monkey's spelled with two E's. So mm-hmm. that's obviously <laughs> the, um, the magnificent 60s band. I might try and get a hold of some issues of Team Beam, maybe. I'm exhausted after that. That was great. What did you think? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. I actually enjoyed it more as we were performing it than I did when I first read it, to be honest. Right. Yeah. It's quite dynamic and exciting, isn't it? There's, I mean, that, especially that whole cannonball sequence mm. at the end, there's a real sense of urgency to the events in the proceedings, yeah. you know. A few bits I want to go over. The mm-hmm. the usage of the turban and the ruby is totally Sargon the Sorcerer. 
in that scene where he's touching the carpet and then the carpet flies towards him. So, as you'll discover, listeners, part of Sargon's powers is the fact that he can control things that he touches. Mm -hmm. And that is very much something Sargon would have done. And he will be popping up in the podcast fairly soon. Fairly mm. soon. Mm. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. It was nice seeing Mona back as well. Nice bit of continuity. And the reference to the, the Ace Chance story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was unusual. a lot of fun. The panel with Jim getting the message as he's about to take a sip of his soup is genuinely hilarious. Because <laughs> he just looks as if, oh, no, I'm really enjoying <laughs> I'm it. I'm hungry. It's hilarious. <laughs> And that's definitely going to the socials. Uh, yes. I might even change my Facebook profile picture to that. Uh, <laughs> I really love that panel. There's just so many good bits in this. And as you were saying earlier on about the, the layouts, the layouts are very different from what we've had before. Mm-hmm. Very dynamic. I mean, that's, I think, the, one of the pages you highlighted earlier on, there's not a single rectangular panel on it. Everything's yeah. like a trapezium sort of thing. Yeah. Aye. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all different shapes, all really, really interesting and dynamic and Obviously, it's a Gardner Fox story. There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of caption boxes. It's hard sometimes for an artist to shine through that, but certainly Neil Adams really shines through this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely loved it. Yep. It's great to finally do a Neil Adams story. Mm-hmm. I think it's a real one of a kind. There's, you know, as we said, there's a dynamism to his art that really just drives it. Yeah. Um, and I think makes a lot of the see what you see captions even more redundant because mm-hmm. it's really obvious what's going on. I thought it was a great story. Similarity to some of the other stories that we've done already, you know, mm-hmm. duplicate bodies and etheric beings, I suppose, you know, did put me in mind of Ace Chance a little yeah. bit. The bit we should talk about, obviously, is a bit near the start when Jim talks about how he thought the Spectre might have been off on a case with the Justice Society. Mm-hmm. Because that absolutely, I think, nails this down as being on Earth too. Yes. Would you agree? Absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah. Even though we've seen the Spectre most recently... On Earth One, yes, in Brave and Bold, in Brave and 75, Bold 75, yeah. which was a huge amount of fun. I'm really pleased at the Justice Society thing being nailed down because I suppose it opens up the prospect that we might see another member of the Justice Society or two, you know, or two mm-hmm. pop up in the pages of this comic. We can only, we can only hope. Mm. I was pleased at that because you know we we talked endlessly about trying to work out which Earth Plastic Man might have been on, and we mm-hmm. did sort of talk about when we saw the Spectre. How none of the other stories really did any real reference to the the JSA or anything, so this mm-hmm. one does. And obviously, he was in the previous year's JLA JSA team up, yeah. which obviously cemented him as being around. But this is it's nice to have this little confirmation in the pages of his own comic. Mm-hmm. Don't really have too much to add other than it rattled along, and I really enjoyed it because I loved the art and I thought the story was really it. Felt a lot more coherent than some of the other. Yep. You know, remember all the stuff about the magic bullet that had us baffled that time? Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. That other uh, earlier story. It still definitely does feel like, you know, the next showcase issue, mm-hmm. as as you were saying. Yeah. So, yeah, that work does raise it a level, which is loads of fun yeah. and, and great. The Arkham thing is quite interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From a DC legacy point of view, yeah. almost, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to maybe have seen a little bit more of Moody, Spooky Arkham as Volley was walking around, you know. Is it completely deserted for people, or is it just the demonic forces that live there? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Remember when we did Brave and Bold 75, and we talked about that advert at the very back of it? Yes. Which had the Spectre and Deadman. Yes. Yeah. Both those characters are currently being drawn now by Neil Adams. Yes. Yes. Which is amazing. Because yeah. obviously when Deadman first appeared, yeah. his first appearance was Carmen Infantino, uh-huh. which everyone pretty much forgets about. Because uh-huh. it was Neil Adams straight away after that. Yeah. And are those all those wonderful covers that Neil Adams was doing for Deadman. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But now we've got him on the Spectre as well. Yeah. So the two ghostly guardians yeah. are yeah. both being depicted by the same guy. It's, yeah. It's fascinating. And of course, remember, we're not too far away from the revival of the Phantom Stranger. Mm-hmm. 
which we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're stretching it a bit, but we both love The Phantom Stranger, so we're going to do an episode on The Phantom Stranger on the showcase issue before too long, because well, there's some stuff we want to talk about, yeah. really, which I think is worth pointing out, that I've never really seen elsewhere. Neil does the covers for the first dozen or so plus mm. issues of The Phantom Stranger. Mm-hmm. When he gets his own series, draws a couple of issues. So we're DC sort of thinking, right, Neil Adams is our go-to guy yeah. for spooky, half-dead, weird-powered guys. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shame there wasn't a, a Silver Age team-up between Spectre and Deadman. Yeah. With all that in mind, isn't it? A crossover could have been could have worked really well. You can imagine Jim Corrigan investing in the case of Boston Brand. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, and then Strange Adventures, Dead Man having to deal with an ill-defined yeah. green and white ghost that's trying to trap him. Mm-hmm. You know, you can imagine that working really well. Maybe we should write it and get Neil Adams <laughs> to draw it for us. You could even make an argument for the case that Dead Man is kind of like an Earth-1 version of the Spectre. Yes. Two people who were killed and taken before their time, given powers by... A voice. A, a voice. Yes. A mysterious uh-huh. voice. Yeah. One is more defined than the other. Uh, but still, yeah, they float about as mm-hmm. these ethereal beings, mm-hmm. uh, fighting crime, doing good. Yeah. And, you know, they've had a few team-ups over the years. The annual for the, the 80s Spectre series mm-hmm. has, has a team-up between them. And there's quite often a bit of crossover between Dead Man and the Phantom Stranger, as we yeah. mentioned before. You know, Dead Man will pop up in a story we're going to do quite far off. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a Brave and Bold special that features Dead Man and Sergeant Rock because we're going to try and do all the, the stories that feature Sergeant Rock and superheroes, basically because he's a World War II character and we want to kind of try and place him. And yeah. How does this correspond <laughs> with what Earth he might be on? So we'll, we will see Dead Man eventually. Mm-hmm. So... There might even one day be a Dead Man cover gallery on Instagram and Facebook, so that'll be nice. Something to look forward to, yeah. Before we jump into the letters, there's one thing I also want to point out, and that is the scenes of the Spectre having to merge with Jim in order to kind of recharge. Mm. That's very much like what they did in the Doug Munch series later on, where the Spectre was more bonded to Jim and was a separate entity, but basically couldn't survive. I think it's about 40 hours, 72 hours. Or else he just lost his powers and then basically faded, faded away. They both would, would die if, oh, right. uh, permanently if that happened. Right, I really need to read this series, don't I? Oh, it's so good. It's I mean, I've got good. them all. I've collected yeah. them all. But as I've said a few times, my main Spectre reference point, which is why I keep, from my recording listeners, I keep making a mistake of referring to the Spectre as Jim, because my main reference for him is the, is the John Ostrander Tom mm-hmm. Drake series, which really has them as one yeah. entity kind of thing. Maybe I should have a whole big Spectre readathon and read the Doug Munch series and you go should. straight into the Ostrander. You should. I've been promising myself that I was going to read the Eclipso annuals crossover from 1992 recently, and I've got as far as reading the first part of the first issue, and they're all so chunky. It's like, good, I could be there for years. Anyway, mm. shall we do the letters then? Yes, let's jump to issue awesome. four. Issue four, which we'll be doing fairly soon. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you about the cover or anything else about it, because we don't want to spoil it. So then, Reader's Rendezvous from issue four. The, the first letter goes a little something like this. Dear Editor, Boy, when you guys at DC bring out a new comic, you don't kid around. Everyone, open brackets, maybe even Irene Vartanoff, should have gotten a kick out of the Spectre. Number two, Irene Vartanoff is famous. Mm. Hashtag Irene Vartanoff. Letter continues, the cover got the message of the story across very neatly, but I think the demonic background cluttered it up a little. Perhaps a moon would have been better. (laughs) Anyway, I'm glad you picked Neil Adams as a replacement for Murphy Anderson because he's the only one who can give the Spectre a subtle fierceness in the face just like he had in the Golden Age. Mm. So as far as I'm concerned, Neil could draw the Spectre with a wrinkled cape, or for that matter, with no cape at all. Die Spectre, again, in my opinion, was one of Fox's most extravagant stories, to put it mildly. With no exaggeration at all, I can honestly say that it was excellent. I really liked, one, the idea of fear giving life to an etheric body. 
yeah, I mean, we didn't really talk too much about that, to no. be honest. That that was really cool, the way mm -hmm. the faceless thing just kind of, yeah. you know, hoved into view, and that was really, really creepy. Mm -hmm. And two, the slight conflicts between the Spectre and Jim Corrigan. This should be played up and even be made into an entire story. That's a good point. I also went for little things that made the Spectre seem more believable and human. Open brackets. Sheesh. Is that an understatement? Such as the ending, where Spectre admits to himself that the case was a hard one. One suggestion that I wish you would follow is to bring in some Justice Society members. I can hardly wait for issue 3 where Wildcat will make an appearance. Spoilers. So, until the Spectre needs a trick hat full of rabbits. Klaus Janssen, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yes. Wow. Yes. There's a big name from comics. Blimey. Future artist and inker Klaus Janssen. Yeah, that is excellent. That is mm -hmm. exciting. Gosh, issue three with Wildcat. So mm. someone who definitely knows what he's talking about there. Absolutely. Mm. So the Exciting. editorial response to that then is... It's not easy to slough off Miss Irene Vartanoff with a mere four-word parenthetical reference. So, without further ado, we give you her wordy, worthy comments. Editor. Yep, and the next letter says... Dear Editor, uh, may a not noticeably humble fan be allowed to express her opinion? Neil Adams is terrific! And so, on consideration, is the spectre. Terrific is an adjective that I and other fans have a habit of using and misusing with enthusiastic abandon when describing a comic magazine, but, the inevitable but, in this case, I think it is well warranted, because Neil Adams effectively and magnificently laid the ghost of Murphy Anderson by doing a dark, dangerous, spooky, weird, scary, eerie, truly spectral job of the artwork. Because Gardner Fox, in his element, when he can use eldritch forces and ectoplasmic energies, managed to write an interesting story without subordinating either the Spectre or Jim Corrigan to the role of a mere supporting character. Because mainly the combination of Fox and Adams was responsible for two fantastically exciting pages of story and art, the like of which is seldom seen. Pages 2 and 3 of Die Spectre, again, hmm. beginning with a typical stick-em-up panel and culminating in a typical clawing hands, we shall meet again panel, may not seem at first glance to be anything out of the ordinary. If you're blind, the basis of the situation may be unoriginal, but the action is far from it, and the artwork is superb. The combined effort of action and art is mood, mood. The all-important factor to be created in a comic which stars a discarnate detective. In my opinion, the mood was created with a vengeance. <laughs> so why do I give Neil Adams the appellation terrific without doing the same for Gardner Fox? Sheer inconsistency. <laughs> <laughs> and that's from Irene Vartanoff, our old friend from Lake Forest, Illinois. There we awesome. go. There we go. We haven't well, had a letter from her recently, so yeah. That's no, I mean we we did talk about her when we did the Lois Lane mm -hmm. story recently, and now she was celebrating famous. So yes, it's yeah. nice to have her. Welcome back, Irene. Right then, the next letter, dear editor. No, no, I can't believe it. Not of you. Not of DC. I just finished reading Spectre issue two. You can't be serious. It's all a joke, huh? Or a dream? That's it. A dream. Heh. I'll wake up soon. I know I will. Now that I've sufficiently set the mood, I'll get down to business. Where's Murphy Anderson? Come on, face up. Where's you hiding? Don't get me wrong, Neil Adams is great, but that still doesn't compensate for the fact that he botched up Spectre too. <sighs> Gasp. It's just not eerie enough. Mr Anderson had the knack to make you feel the air going cold around your body, to make the lights seem to dim. Okay, let's do this scientifically. Look at Showcase 61, Beyond the Sinister Barrier. On page 13, the first panel with the weird pinkish ground and the greying sky. That's enough to send chills up and down your spine. 
The way his cape is flapping in the wind makes you feel the breeze starting up. In short, I've never seen a panel by Mr. Anderson that I didn't like. No, love. But so far, I've seen two panels by Mr. Adams that I have liked. Page three, last panel is good. And page nine, last panel isn't too bad. But the way he draws muscles, they're too stiff. Now, as for me, I feel this has to be the worst written letter that has ever touched the desk. <laughs> Looking back, I don't think I constructed one good sentence. No, there's a few. But the reason for this is that I just looked at the art and I was furious. I leapt up, jammed the paper in the typewriter and got out of my system. This is the equivalent of sending an instant reaction angry tweet or text message, isn't it? Yeah. If I haven't anyway insulted Mr. Adams, please accept my apologies. <laughs> I think I've calmed down now, enough at least, to let you know I'm Rick Stofler, Anaheim, California. Have we had a letter from him before? I don't recognise the name. It rings a bell vaguely. Editorial response to that one then is... We expected to be hit by controversy over the art switch from Murphy Anderson to Neil Adams. And it nearly floored us. Some typical punchy remarks follow, mm. editor. And the next letter says, You did the stupidest thing in DC history when you replaced Murphy Anderson as the Spectre's artist. If Murphy doesn't come back, I wish only one thing on the Spectre. Death! Gasp. The Spectre is a beautiful creation, but... Only in the artistic hands of Murphy Anderson. Why, I can't even recognise the guy anymore. Some red-haired guy is calling himself Jim Corrigan? I never saw the bum before in my life. Who's this guy in green and white calling himself the Spectre? He's a stranger to me. If you keep Neil Adams on as... <laughs> it's unbelievable. If you keep Neil Adams on as regular Spectre artist, the Spectre is dead. Well, technically the Spectre is dead. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of the whole point, isn't yeah. it? Neil's not a bad artist. On the contrary, he's one of the best I've seen. He draws dead man superbly, but with the spectre, he's nothing. Wow. And that's from Gary Skinner, Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, well, the next one says, After looking at the first few pages of the second spectre, I was thoroughly disgusted. The whole idea of taking Murphy Anderson from the spectre is preposterous. I am sorry. But Neil Adams does not have it. And that short segment of a missive is from Dennis Fisher. Since, is that Cincinnati? Yeah. Ohio? Okay. Well, the next very short highlight says... Die Spectre again was just fabulous. In story, Neil Adams' artwork was just terrible. Gosh. From David Johnson, Chicago. The final little sentence snippet. This is like an old episode of Points of View, isn't it? It is, yeah. The final snippet says, Neil Adams is okay. But compared to Murphy Anderson, nothing. That's from Lee Rage, Phoenix, Arizona. Lee Rage is going to be a made-up name, surely. Gosh, <laughs> that's Rage with a W, listeners. Yeah. Um, well then, that's surprising. I mean, comparing it to the Dead Man stuff, I think it's about as dynamic and fluid as the Dead Man stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe at this point, maybe not as fluid and dynamic as some of the Dead Man stuff got, but still really, really good. Yeah. There's a little editorial response to all of this, and it says, At this anti-Adams point, we feel a obliged to interrupt with the ironical reminder that Neil is being as harshly treated as Murphy Anderson was when he replaced Joe Kubert <laughs> on Hawkman. That's an excellent point. And Justice Anderson in due time won approval as the Hawkman artist, so we predict will Neil Adams be rated as the one and only artist for the Spectre, says the editor. Well, I mean, he's still associated with him. He did a, a series for DC a couple of years ago that when he had Batman and Deadman and yep. know, Aquaman and, and the Spectre all involved, all people that he was involved with. And he, he managed to refrain from giving the Spectre a hairy chest, which mm -hmm. is good, because that seems to be his obsession. Yeah. That's really quite surprising, because you know, I've said I'm a huge, huge fan of Neil Adams, and I think he's really, really suited to the characters. It's always interesting, as we've said many times, to see the contemporary response. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. wasn't what I was expecting at all. No. 
Mm. Speaking of responses, we've had responses yes. recently from some of our listeners, which is nice. Yep. So Pete's done a little compilation. First of all, I'd like to give a shout out to Jonathan McKinstry, who's been a great supporter of the show, who we actually see in person quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you, Jonathan, for listening. Yep. Jonathan makes it worthwhile to do everything on Facebook. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes. Thank you for paying attention. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, recently, I've been in contact with Ranger Gord from Prairie Justice, the Vigilante podcast, which is excellent, incidentally. You should listen to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying he's thoroughly enjoying the show, so that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah. Good. And also, speaking of other podcasts, Max and Rich from the Weird Warriors podcast they have been enjoying the show as well. So you should check out these guys' shows as well, because they are fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, if you're interested in the sort of stuff that we are covering, mm-hmm. you'll definitely get something out of these yeah. these other podcasts. Vigilante, of course, the Golden Age character, who we'll be talking about in quite a few comics. Mm-hmm. And Weird War Tales was published within the time period that we're covering, and it's... Yeah. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's really, really interesting. How many more stories are they going to do where someone has turned out to be dead at the end all <laughs> along? That's what I want to know. Well. I, hope they're keeping, I hope they're keeping a chart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always think it's nice to get positive comments from other people who make podcasts because I know how much effort goes into making one. Of course. And that really cuts into your ability to listen to them. So it's great to hear that you guys are still listening and thanks very much for supporting the show. Absolutely. Speaking of supporting the show... We've had, again, great comments recently from Chuck Loridans as well, who's been an avid supporter pretty much from the beginning, really, mm-hmm. of the show. Uh, and Michael Smith recently got in touch as well with a lovely little message saying his coordinates are set for Earth 2. <laughs> and also I'd like to give a shout out to Stephen Caitlin Higgins. Thank you very much for listening to the show. Caitlin's Steve's daughter, and she reads along to the, a lot of the stories that we cover. And they really enjoy sharing that through our episodes. Yeah. I'm waving. Higgins family, I'm waving. (laughs) Also recently bumped into two other listeners, Colin and Debbie Murphy, who've been thoroughly enjoying the show. Hi, guys. Colin called me out on one of the phrases I used in the Tommy Tomorrow episode when I said, Doogie Rev, Doogie Rev, which is very good, backwards. He asked if that was a reference to the TV show The Adventure Game. And yes, Colin, well spotted. <laughs> it was indeed a reference you know to what? the early 80s TV show, I, The Adventure Game. The Adventure Game was something that went out on BBC Two at tea time in the early 80s. And mm-hmm. we, I saw occasionally, I never liked it. I never got it. it always, because you'd get this one. You'd get traditional BBC, well-known BBC faces like Moira Stewart. And yeah, it was like, always Moira Stewart. <laughs> yeah, just being kind of weird and uh-huh. playing characters, not themselves. But sometimes yeah. you would get famous people on it kind of being themselves. Mm-hmm. It always kind of unsettled me a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I... Yeah, but there was a character on it who spoke backwards. Who was, right. He always said, Doogie Rev, Doogie Rev. That's his name. So, yeah, which obviously is very good. Interesting. There we are. And finally, we got a massive response from Martin Gray. Hi, Martin. On the Spectre issue one. The episode we did to cover for that. As I said, it's a massive, massive missive he's written us. So I'll just give you a couple of highlights. He's thanking us for a mega cyclic episode. That was uh, Gardner's phrase of the week mm-hmm. in, in that issue. <laughs> and yes, the villain of that issue was Captain Skull. And he, Martin says that uh, every time we said Captain Skull, he kept thinking of the theme tune to Captain Scarlet. And he was thinking Captain Scarlet. So that's quite funny. He also congratulated us on the voices that we used in the show. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. We do try. Especially when it seemed that one of Captain Skull's ancestors was uh, Warsaw Gummidge. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. Yes. I can't comment on any of the any of the voices you chose for Captain Skull. I did go a bit West Country with my, with my pirate at some point. And he does agree with us that the letter that we read out from that issue is probably most likely to be from the, the future comic letterer, John Workman. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So, that's interesting. So there we are. Cool. So yeah, thanks very much, Martin, for listening. That was great. If you want to get in touch with us and let us know uh, what you think about the show, we'll give you a shout-out just like that. 
How would you do that? How would you do that? You could email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Certainly could. Find us on Twitter, podcast underscore earth2, using the number two. You can find us on Instagram, the Earth 2 podcast, using again, using the number two, all in one word. We have a Facebook page, which as well as an Instagram, we throw up lots of extra content and related stuff that ties into each week's episode. Yep, there's a photo album for every episode, so you can check them out, see some of these panels that we're referring to. Mm-hmm. Although I must admit, it'd be hard to take some pictures of some of these shaped panels that yeah, Neil's thrown. There might have to be story. a couple of pages, full pages maybe put up. It's always interesting, listeners, because Pete handles the Facebook panel highlights and I handle the Instagram panel highlights. And it's very interesting, at least I find interesting, seeing which ones Peter picks compared to the ones that I pick. Yeah. So if you, if you ever disagree with our panel picks, you can let us know. There any you of the aforementioned <laughs> methods. Why have you not used page 14, panel <laughs> yes. 3? Well, panel 6 was rubbish. <laughs> because I wanted to use panel 6 because it looked like this. I don't know. It's, it is difficult sometimes, though, picking. Yeah. The, the last Spectre one, especially, mm. is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. We understand that not everyone has the comic to read along to, so we yeah. just give a few panel highlights just to give people an idea of what's going on. Because we're all about the comics. That's the most important thing. It's Definitely. not about us, it's about the comics. There we go. So on that note, I've been Peter. And I've been David. And we will see you next time on... The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. As the eldritch forces in the vault tear at the ghostly guardian like a thumbature give a dip 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 da thumbaturgig oh my goodness thou thou thumbaturgig thumbaturgig do we want to look it up no thumbaturgig right okay we're going to get i think you'll find i think you'll find it's pronounced